to The Winnow, a podcast about dining in the South and beyond. I'm Robert Moss, the contributing barbecue editor for Southern Living and author of Southern Spirits, 400 Years of Drinking in the American South. And I'm Hannah Raskin, food editor at The Post and Career. This week, we're doing the Just Desserts edition of The Winnow, uh, since we're talking about all those sweet things that you get at the end of the meal. And in particular, um, talking about you know what, whether desserts have been getting a bad rap lately, and then perhaps we should try to do a little revival of a dessert. And you know, we can't, as, as we were prepping for this, it got me naturally thinking of Butcher and Bee, which is uh, nearby on the way to the Post and Courier building. So I, I swung in, picked up a couple of desserts uh, to, it, to start off with. It used to be closer. I wish it still I know. Was. It, 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 it's still, you know, if you're driving down here, it's not too far out of the way. So uh, I'll pass this around. I got a couple of things on the uh, from Butcher and Bee. This is, so this is a brown buttered rhubarb croissant, which uh, just looks delicious. And croissant sort of like one of the the high forms of the multiple folds of pastry. And as always, <laughs> it's, it's really delicious. I just love the those layers of layers of, of, of proper, like real croissants, not the kind that's with shot full of chemicals, but with real butter, uh, right. lots when, of butter in the layers. And when you see all those layers where it's like too many to count, um, you almost don't even need to try to know it's good. I mean, if they can pull that off, um, it's going to be amazing. And when we say they here... We mean pastry chef Cynthia Wong and her team. Mm -hmm. Um, Cynthia was uh, long-listed for James Beard this year for pastry chef. And it was interesting. I was talking to her recently. She was saying that getting on that long list um, really bumped up applications, employee applications. Oh, really? Which is... In this industry, super helpful. So, so people are specifically coming to work under her and, and learn pastry. Exactly. Cool. So, you know, and we've talked on the show before about looking at a long list to decide, you know, where you're going to go eat. But we have to remember people also look at it to see where can I go work, where can I learn. Um, so, pretty, pretty cool. What I like about this, the rhubarb croissant, the rhubarb is very subtle, but it has a, just a little bit of a fruity herbal kind of flavor to it. Yeah, it just, I mean, it's just, it just sort adds of perfume. It. Yeah, it's not of. like... I, I, had you not said rhubarb, I don't know that I would have mm -mm. guessed rhubarb. It's certainly not tart in any identifiable way. Certainly at this time, you know, early in the season, rhubarb can be really tart, um, which I really like about it. But uh, that that's not really what's happening here. When we're, when we're talking about pastry in the in the realm of Butcher and Bee, we should also mention that that group has just opened up the workshop, which is Charleston's first food hall first like official legitimate food hall um and one of its components is bad wolf coffee i'm from jonathan ori i know i'm dropping a whole lot of names here you know, <laughs> people don't need to take notes but point is he sort of oversees everything and that place takes a whole lot of overseeing because the concept is they all share a kitchen in the back so they have to say like I'm going to need the rotisserie. I'm going to need, you know, so, so he's the guy who kind of like. So you really have to play well with others. Exactly, exactly. It's like, you know, it's like the guy at like the golf course who like keeps track of, you know, who's got the card and what your tea time is, you know. Um, but he's also a very, very talented um, pastry chef in his own right. And so he has opened Brand Bad Wolf Coffee, which previously existed along with him in Chicago. Um the coffee's great, and he makes a pretty good Queen Amman. I had one this weekend, and it was it was pretty good. So all those layers upon layers reminded me of that. Well, I think um, yeah, that that workshop's interesting because I think it's going to be. It's not just like a food hall, but it's almost sort of like an incubator for a lot of small food businesses. Yeah, that's a much better description because the idea is um, you're not supposed to stay. It's like it's yeah. like school. Like you're not supposed to be in third grade forever. Like they're supposed <laughs> to move on. Um, at, you know, possibly to their own restaurant, or um, you know, or maybe they've learned a skill that they're going to take to another person's yeah. restaurant. But the idea is, as you say, that there is perpetual turnover. It is interesting. We did see like the food trucks for many years served as sort 
sort of that that breeding ground. Someone who thought they may want to go and you know open in a restaurant, but they, they you could start off a food truck a little bit less of an investment. See if you could get a foothold. See if you liked it, and then ultimately move up because we all know going straight from zero to a brick and mortar restaurant can be you know. Very expensive and very risky. Right. Uh, and, and we've talked, too, I think, about that there are problems with trucks. Like, you have to park them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so it's really... And you have to have a commercial kitchen somewhere to cook in. So even then, you can't just, like, cook it in the truck or no. at your house. And you've got to keep the truck running, you yep. know, which is incredibly frustrating. As anyone who's had, like, their computer break on yep. them. No, you know, it's like you've got the goods, but if the technology doesn't cooperate, it's really frustrating. Where did you say I can get Queen Out? You can get it at uh, Bad Wolf Coffee. Bad Wolf Coffee. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so we started off with dessert, which to me is a is a great way to do it. And actually, what what inspired I think this whole episode is a recent article uh, by Jay Rayner for the Guardian. I'm sick of half-hearted desserts. Bring me a proper pudding. And so it's a you know in the great. Uh, <laughs> and, and we should say for people that Jay Rayner is British. He is British. So pudding, yes. pudding has yes, a, a slightly different connotation. Very, you know, quite quite different than yep. than here in the South. It's not banana put proper <laughs> banana pudding that that he's looking for. But it's it's sort of a classic screed, I guess, against uh, the, the the decline of desserts, specifically in, in British restaurants. But I think well, much of what he says there probably applies equally well here on the other side of the, of the pond. Um, you know, his uh, specific beef is that you know. Desserts, they used to re- require like skilled, proper pastry work. And um, now desserts, he, he calls them unstable, creamy things on a plate, which is really like you know, pe- panna cotta and half arsed mousses, I believe he, he wrote, which is a, a, a great phrase. Um, and I got to admit, uh, I, I sort of it sort of resonated with me because I sort of feel the same way. This is totally accurate. I mean, as restaurants look to save money, um, one of the ways they do it is by axing the pastry chef. That's that's an expensive person to keep on your payroll. Um, and anyone, we've talked about Top Chef before, you know, they always, there is like, oh no, dessert. You know, yeah. chefs are not typically great at dessert. There are exceptions. But, but so this is what we have in even the nicest places now is chef-made desserts, mm-hmm. um, which tend to be, you know, like a, panna cotta or like you know it's like it's, it's just very simple and it's it's basically replicating something they learned in culinary school or can pull off night after and something night. easy and i think you don't have to have a dedicated person who's just you know spending all their time creating that you know right 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 and so i mean i think though what's so striking about it is this occurs in places that put so much thought into everything mm-hmm. else right and so everything is just beautiful and delicate and thorough and thoughtful and then you get to the dessert course and and I say this, I'm not really a dessert person. And every food writer yep. will tell you I'm not a dessert person. <laughs> I, mean, I don't. And I, do you know why that is? I don't know. I think you. I, I think it's the kind of thing, like everything else, you, you know, wine, spirits, beer, cocktail, coffee, tea, food, dessert. You, there's a lot to cover. And I, I, I do think that to some extent, you know, pastry is a whole different world, right? You don't. You cook it a different way. It's 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 more scientific. It's a different, you know, you got to measure carefully. It's just a different mode than oh, more absolutely. like you know, mean, searing something in a pan and throwing a bunch of things into it. The preparation is totally different, but is the appreciation so far removed? It seems like it shouldn't be uh, in, in theory, but in practice, it seems like it is. And certainly in, I mean, when you review restaurants, how much time do you actually spend under the dessert, you know, in, in most reviews? Um, you know, 
Sometimes, if it's if it really blows you away, a lot of times you don't even mention them, and no one, no one was ever going to write in and say, "Why didn't you talk about the desserts?" You know, rarely hear it because it's a function of two things: is that the, the not caring about their desserts. You know, the restaurants don't care, and two, as I say, I don't remember the last time this happened to me just last <laughs> night. I don't remember the last time I was sitting at a table with fellow food writers. I, this happened last night. I did order dessert because it was a review meal; otherwise, mm-hmm. I wouldn't. I don't really like to. Say. And as soon as it hits the table, the food writers, not me, says. I'm not a sweets person. <laughs> Every single well, see, time. Well, see, now I will say I am definitely a sweets person. I I I I, I, I don't pretend to know a, a ton about pastry. Mm-hmm. So I think it is a, a knowledge area that you know it takes a lot of study to learn everything about it. Yeah. But boy, do I like a, a nice sweet thing at the end of a meal. I definitely have a sweet too. Hannah, I was I was about to ask for a clarification, and you kind of provided it there. When you say food writers don't like sweets, are are you saying, or sorry, you said food writers don't like desserts? Are desserts synonymous with sweets? Is it the same thing? Right. Great question. I mean, obviously, you know, we had the whole in the last decade or so, the rise of salted caramel. Mm -hmm. I mean, really, people like to seek out salt at the end of the meal more and more, it seems so. So, no. And actually, I think the savory dessert trend is one of the more interesting ones. But, yeah, you know. I don't like dessert, so I, I, don't, but it's, I, I don't know if it's that if your palate is built for sugar, maybe it's not as built for other things. I, I, I and I know there's, you know, there's a lot of work on this, on the chemistry yeah. of taste. Um, and so I don't know if there is something about the prototypical food writer's palate that just isn't as developed on well, the sugar side. I, I, I definitely know. think that... You know, as you age in general, you right. you know, you have more of a taste for sweets when you're younger, and you you tend to lose that, and, you, and then you tend to like more bitter, and and I think it's just sort of a natural progression, but. Yeah, that doesn't necessarily mean that all your desserts have to be the molten chocolate cake with you know whipped cream on top. You can have subtle desserts like the croissant, which which we just had, which really isn't necessarily dessert, but uh, you know it it's sweet but not overly sweet. You know, it's not. Dipped in chocolate and, and covered with fudge and all that, you know, right. and we, all that. We've talked about it before, and I think we'll talk about it again um, some of the myths in the food world. Mm-hmm. But so, is it true that as you get older, I mean, I've had some older people make me sweet tea that was oh no, no, I'm not saying. I, I think it's just in general people say that they, they do say that. They, but they, I, but do that, we know you're right. that that's true. Well, well, let's we'll have to put that to the test <laughs> and find out. I certainly know my palate has yeah. gotten right. less away from sweets. It's at, certainly true that drinking a, 32 ounces of soda, I just can't even do that anymore. It's just way too much sugar. Right. I mean, um, when we were talking about rhubarb, you know, a four-year-old is not going to yeah. really enjoy unsugared rhubarb. I mean, that's just children don't like a really strong, bitter flavor. It's why children don't drink coffee in most cultures and generally. Well, um, I've, put, I've made that down. So we do have our food myths show coming up. We're going <laughs> right. to dive into these. So, but but I, yeah, research that first because you're right. If you're my industrial impulses, you say this, it could be received wisdom. Yeah, I have no idea. So we'll find out. I do, Going back to, to, to Rainer's complaint a little bit, I think he sort of has his speculations about what's going on. He, he, he says that, you know, in part it's because restaurants don't take dessert seriously. They're fo- so focused on the meat and the sauce. And and I would say I'd add to it they, these days, the veggies, that, you know, that that's really where the focus is. But, and, and that's the $45 component yeah. of the meal, right? I mean, they really, I think, would much rather fill you up on steak and wine than fill you up on coconut cake. Yeah, definitely. Well, definitely the the, the, the wine part of it. <laughs> yeah. That's what, there's, there's money there. But he also uh, has another theory that it's because cooks are opening restaurants now who haven't really gone through that classical brigade training system so they never worked a pastry station and they just sort of jump you know, maybe in cooking school they had a dessert class or something but but so they just sort of skip over that because the emphasis is all on the 
you know, the meat and the fire and the, you know, the, the exciting component of the. Of so it's really interesting. We were speaking earlier about the pastry department at Butcher and Bee. And one of the things I was talking to Cynthia about is their bread baker, Henry Jones, mm-hmm. came from a completely non-baking background, never baked. But what Cynthia has figured out is that line cooks, which is what Henry was at Prohibition, line cooks make great bread bakers because they just do the task. It doesn't really matter, you know, the whole scheme of things. Mm-hmm. They just do the task. And so I'm curious, though. So what that means is most likely in this current economy, you have to hire differently for pastry. It's probably not a line cook. It's probably not a chef. And and so it's interesting. I mean, I think you would probably do better going out to hire, like, engineers, as you say. You know, you have to find those tricks is what Cynthia was saying. You have to know. You're you're not going to find a baker, so you have to find a line cook. You're not going to find a pastry chef, so you have to find a... Something. Something. Well, it, it is curious. I mean, I'm a big fan of the Great British Baking Show, which we've talked about right. before, just because that's my ideal of if that's reality TV. <laughs> that's what food team competition should be like. But one of the other things about that that I like like watching it, they each episode they do two, you know, at least two, sometimes more, like classic types of pastry and dessert, and and you know all this. And there's a whole just you know tradition to it, and some of them are, are a little more a little simple. More, you know, bread is a little bit more of a feel kind of thing, mm-hmm. but some of them are so precise. Like I say, engineering it is it is a form of engineering in a lot of ways. You got to get the temperature just right. You've got to mold things just right around, and you're, you're constructing and assembling things. So it's definitely quite different than being you know you know cooking that uh, the pork slab of pork belly and throwing a bunch of spices sure, on it you know sure but it's interesting too i actually had a great dessert experience about a week or so ago um, i went to husk for dinner where mm-hmm. i hadn't been for a while and the dessert was phenomenal well and and actually and, and it's funny cuz i was thinking as we were prepping i was trying to think around, around various restaurants and especially i thought, I thought naturally of husk i was thinking okay that's such a represent representative restaurant in like sort of the the latest southern tradition i was like mm-hmm. and i don't Think I couldn't think of any of the desserts. I know I remember having them there. I remember th- vaguely that they had good desserts. I couldn't tell you what they were. So you said you said you had the lemon meringue pie, right? So I was at Husk recently and had the lemon meringue pie, and they put that in. Um, quotes. Yes, I say it's in quotes. They I was going to ask quotes. you why is it in quotes? Um, I mean, I think it's not cool to say deconstructed yeah. anymore, but you know <laughs> that's what it is. It's sort of all over the plate. And I think without those quotes, you've had a lot. Of, you'd have a lot of people. Oh, so it's the elements of slice. spread yes. around. Okay. Yeah, and so it is. It's one of those things where it's like you dig here, you dig there, and all of a sudden you're like. Oh, I'm in lemon meringue world. I mean, it's really, <laughs> it is a fantastic dessert. Um, yeah, I was really, really excited to have it. Well, that's what, as, as I was bouncing around, you know, the uh, really strong recent dessert memories uh, for me was at Buxton Hall, <laughs> who, um, even though it's Buxton Hall Barbecue, has a great cocktail and, and beer program. And then they have an entire bakery on the, the, the floor below the restaurant itself. And, um and, and a really, you know, just great series of, of desserts there. Um, it, it's interesting. Ashley Caps, sorry, Ashley Caps yeah. is the pastry chef there who came from a. I know she trained in New York. She's classically trained, and is now turning some of her attention to like uh, these sort of southern desserts, which I, which are which are really wonderful. There's southern desserts, and then when I was looking at the menu of husk desserts as well, uh, although I did not order it, they have a funnel cake on the menu. Yep. Um, and so I thought that was kind of fun. We've just had a place open up in North Charleston that's doing just fair food. So they're doing uh, funnel cakes all the time. Which I think is <laughs> well, that's actually – and I see the same through the Buxton Hall because Buxton Hall is doing – 
a similar kind of thing of taking classic Southern desserts and then doing sort of the chefy spin on them. They have a, a banana pudding pie, which is like banana pudding, but inside a pie crust. Yeah. Uh, and I think I, I think the crust might be from homemade, like crushed homemade vanilla wafers. It's really, really delicious. Yep. And then they do a chocolate moon pie. So they basically make a homemade moon pie, making their own marshmallow, their own cookies, dipping it in chocolate. So And it's very much like the funnel cake and lemon meringue pie husk. It's like sort of modern or postmodern versions of Southern classic desserts. You see a lot of this, and I do feel like there is, and I don't know how Jay Rayner, where he stands on this, but you do feel like the one thing they want you to take away from dessert is kind of like a hearty laugh. You know, yeah. like a lot of it's just like... <laughs> it's definitely like, whimsical. Oh, it's a bit witty. You know, yeah. so I was at, we've talked to your locally, I was at Pancito and Lefties, and they have a rice pudding dessert. It's ambrosia. It's just mm-hmm. ambrosia, you know? And everyone around my table is just like, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> just, which is an interesting response. Um, we don't see savory courses as much that mm-hmm. way once in a while, but certainly not with that sort of, you know, just pervasive sort yeah. of like, oh, isn't that funny? You know. So yeah, and that husk has s'mores, so they're yeah. making their like sort of high end, you now, know, same very similar, I guess. To are a there still hotel moonlight. restaurants out there doing the s'mores at your table thing? Is that I it? haven't <laughs> seen one in forever. Which um, is probably probably good. You know, I don't. That's the thing on the on you. Know, once you get outside the, the sort of the the nice restaurants, desserts tend to be much more on the long lines of a. Big slice of chocolate cake with a bunch of stuff on it, and you know it. It, it tends to be just overwhelm you with uh, sugar and sweetness, and I don't, not a lot of subtlety when you get away from the uh, away from some of the, the the fine dining spots. No, that's right, and I think I mean when we, we say that like food writers are not crazy about dessert, I think you know that may be part of the desserts that have shaped them that they do have these like sugar bomb chocolate chocolate on top of chocolate you know like yeah. death by chocolate or drowned in chocolate <laughs> I mean they're all these sort of violent chocolate beaten into submission <laughs> by chocolate <laughs> right um, and they're horrible and I think you know they're really meant for the person who kind of suffered through the meal because they yep. hate food you know they're like I don't really <laughs> want to eat this but just bring me my chocolate yeah but I still think the the, the right a good dessert can be the perfect capper for a meal. You know, oh, it, absolutely! And it doesn't, it, especially one that is interesting and has multiple flavors and, and that kind of thing. And sometimes, I mean, you know this better than I do as someone who chronicles barbecue. You have to have peach pie or banana pudding. Banana pudding, pudding you, you yes. Know, I, I know here's banana pudding. I did a lot of my barbecue <laughs> in Texas. So we had a lot of peach cobbler and peach pie. Um, but that smoke, I mean, you can't deal with that smoke without something yeah. that's going to be it, a little sweet and a little creamy. You have to have a counterbalance. And I, I think and banana pudding is, you know, I've, I've tried to sort of track how it became a barbecue staple. Really, I think 60s and 70s is when it sort of started really becoming a staple. But it is sort of, in many ways, the perfect capper for a barbecue meal. You have that smoky and often like in this part of the South, these very vinegary, tangy kind of flavors. And then that just sort of creamy sweetness does sort of soothe over. And I, I have a, you know, sort of a mantra that you always have room for banana pudding, mm-hmm. which is no matter how much barbecue you eat, you can always cram Slides down some banana, banana pudding, which is actually dangerous because you <laughs> always have room for one <laughs> serving of banana pudding, but you'll want to eat two. And if you do, you'll be in misery. Right. You'll, you'll have to lay down you know, right. in, in the backseat of the car and let someone else drive you home Yeah, because <laughs> it does definitely expand on you. Absolutely. We've talked about here in Charleston, Rodney Scott makes a great thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And banana pudding, it's just wonderful. I mean, it's hard to even even people debate banana pudding. It should be custard or pudding. Uh, and custard, of course, is the original version of you know a homemade custard. But you know, even banana pudding with like pudding out of a box and vanilla wafers out of the box, it, it's still pretty good. You know, and, and whipped cream from the can. You know, it's a little bit better if you take the time. But you can't really screw it up. No matter, it's it's hard to have a bad banana pudding. In in my opinion, I'm sure others would 
take me to task on that. I think we're going to talk about, I mean, banana pudding is one of those things that combines two desserts, right? I mean, you're going to put your Nilla wafers in your uh, (laughs) instant pudding if you're making it off the back of a box, right? So you've got cookies and you've got pudding and you've got whipped cream, maybe. Um, Because we uh, just hear locally at Hominy Grill, they Uh, started making um, a cinnamon roll pancake. Um, and it has been hugely successful. It just started last weekend. I, now, I saw the, uh, yeah, you did an article yeah. about this just, just this week, I believe, um, uh, for the Post and Courier. But tell me, how how do they make a cinnamon roll pancake? Because a pancake it would be a batter that you pour. Correct. So this isn't cinnamon roll batter, but so what do they do? It is a pancake. It's like, it's like if a pancake dressed up as a cinnamon <laughs> roll for Halloween, it's sort of that. I mean, it is, they have not fussed with the batter any. It's the regular how many grill they've been making forever pancakes. But they add a little cinnamon to it, and they add some golden raisins, and so they're getting a little bit sweeter. Okay. Um, or maybe I think they are going for for appearances' sake. Anyway, so they do that, and then um, then they put on kind of that butter sauce, mm-hmm. which you wouldn't typically on a on a pancake. So they uh, okay. butter it yeah, up. Like the- the, the, the glaze. icing yeah, glaze. Yeah, not the yeah. cream cheese. Yeah. I don't know if I yeah. sort of that icing glaze. Um, and so Robert Stelling, who owns the place, the chef owner, was saying it is makes a mess of the grill because you're just like <laughs> melting sugar and burning sugar. And I, I, I mean, but this has been such a sensation. I mean, this is like, I mean, I, I, I hate the to Charleston, say the word This is the Charleston cronut. <laughs> but the reason I know about this is because I was at a different restaurant and heard the people at a table next to me talk about it for, I think, the whole appetizer course. I mean, they had had it earlier in the day and just could not get over how much they enjoyed well, it. Well, that is a case of, you know, it, it's not really dessert, but it's almost a dessert for breakfast. Definitely a sweet bread kind of breakfast breakfast treat. For sure. So I guess, uh, you know, if we had to look forward, you know, I, I definitely, you know, if you look in the, in the distant past, like back in the 19th century, pastry was actually sort of the fine art. Of the of the southern caterers and the southern chefs, uh, Nat Fuller here in Charleston was well known for his edible pastry creations, and so he, the masters of pastry would build these like train bridges with an actual train going across it, glazed with fruits and candied stuff all over it, and it'd be this massive display that's sort of the centerpiece that would round out a meal. Uh, and then I guess that's just sort of gone down steadily from there to yeah, you know, smaller and smaller but, you know, things. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because, as you say, you know, so the whole art of sugar sculpting and what mm-hmm. you could do with sugar was just, I mean, that was an essential part of a banquet at that time. And speaking of the past and speaking of Nat Fuller, reminded me that our chef in town, B.J. Dennis, has been doing some work on um, – candies of the 19th at Charleston. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, so this will be in a, a future uh, <laughs> issue of the food section, but just had a chance to go um, over to his kitchen because he was over in Trinidad um, where some Charlestonians moved long, long ago, and so some culinary traditions have been preserved there, including this candy making. So he demonstrated for me both, um, they had a groundnut cake, which is it's it, it's confusing because it does involve nuts. It's, it has nothing to do with what we would call a cake, you know, a groundnut cake. It, it, these are essentially they're like um, they're like pralines. I mean, we're yeah. talking and about a groundnut is another term for peanut, right? Or, so it's, it's, it's a, so it's like it's a, a version peanut of peanut brittle, right? Yeah. I mean, we're just talking about sugar and peanut, um, but we're not talking about anything that a modern eater would call a cake. Just to be clear on <laughs> that, so groundnut cakes and uh, monkey meat. So um, is monkey meat sort of like monkey bread, as we call it? Not even close. No. no, it's essentially the groundnut cake, but made with molasses instead oh. of the already refined sugar, I believe. So 
or more molasses. One of the two features more molasses okay. than the other. Um, but so that's what it is. So it's this little candy. So what's cool, first of all, not only is it delicious, I mean, it's like, and it may have been extra delicious because BJ had the, um, the Carolina Runner peanut, mm-hmm. which um, the Anson Mills and... Yeah, it's, a, it's an old version it's, of yes, peanuts we, back when peanuts were raised for their flavor, not so much their oil properties. And Exactly. And so, you know, when you're dealing with something that's simple, when you have something as good as a good peanut, that's going to make probably a big difference. But, okay, so melted sugar, peanut, like it's really, really good. And so it occurred to me, I thought, you know, this is really what Charleston restaurants should be offering for dessert because anyone could make it or you could buy it. And yep. that's really what I wish more restaurants would do is outsource their dessert course and just say – you know, we need to get this from someone. And I just think it would be, I mean, we have plenty of restaurants here locally who do a rice pudding. or they, they, mm-hmm. right, Rice is big. Um, but I think a that's, candy, yeah, can, I think a 19th century candy course at the end of the meal could be really, really that'd be nice. great. And that would be actually, yeah, and it doesn't have to be, a, that's not necessarily a full dessert. You could but have just true. like a little parting gift kind of deal. Or, right, right, you could. But you could also make or a Or charge nice, for it. But yeah. just, <laughs> you know, I don't want to tell the restaurants to take everything away. Right. But it, it, it could be a lighter bite than your your big piece of chocolate cake. Right. But I mean, so between that, I mean, that is a true piece of the Charleston mm-hmm. culinary legacy that we rarely see. Um, and what so what a great way to present that um and we do have lots of we've talked about before locally made ice creams i mean the restaurants don't have to do it themselves although a lot of them do a very nice job with ice cream um you know a little candy a little ice cream i mean it's summertime that may be <laughs> that may be the answer well i do hope it's i think it's encouraging that that cynthia wong has people applying to sort of study under her maybe yeah. there'll, there'll be more people getting into pastry and, and we'll see more a return i'd love to see a return to the to dessert being a big deal again. And maybe it's just a romantic notion in my, in my part, but I like the idea of, you know, every course being given the equal attention and not just you slap something on at the end because somebody wants, you know, something sweet. Or, you know, you get a bunch of creme brulee and, and a bunch of chocolate mousse, and that's about it, you know. Well, I'll save I save this for last, so we'll, uh, I mean. Oh, you've got more over Let me there. split it up, and then I'll pass it okay. around. Oh, okay. You know this, this is interesting. Yeah. I'm a big fan of the cookie sandwich genre of food. Well, and so, yeah, you, we started with dessert, so you can't not finish with dessert. So uh, I do have another Butcher and Bee uh, pastry or product of uh, Cynthia Wong for, to, to wrap things up here. And this is actually something that I think she created down when she was uh, in Atlanta uh, years ago, but but uh, has, has brought up here to, to Butcher and Bee. This is the so-called fatty cake. Um, and what it is, uh, well... Let's taste it first and see. It's a it's a variation of, of like the other ones we were talking about of one of the sandwich cakes. Mm-hmm. But I think it's sort of like the uh, little Debbie on stero- uh, oatmeal cake on steroids. A little bit, but it's it's like a spice cookie. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say it's it's absolutely well made. It's not my favorite of her things. It's mm. just, and that's a totally personal tale. I'm not saying that it's not. Although honestly, I'd put less cream in it. Yeah, it is definitely it's it's um what it is is two gingerbread cookies, so homemade gingerbread cookies with mm-hmm. a ton of mascarpone cream, and probably about a little bit thicker than the cookies themselves in between. And she marinates cherries and ouzo, uh, and, and and puts all that in there. Apparently, I think it, the cream itself is pretty subtle. It's not super sweet. There is there is a lot of it. But what I like about it is just well, they're two bucks. You grab them, you can grab them and go. It's not a huge. Uh, a huge dessert by any, by any means. I just like the the sort of the spice and the subtleness of the mascarpone. Again, it's again it's not it doesn't overwhelm you. It isn't it is in the line with the sort of little Debbie oatmeal 
cream cakes, mm-hmm. which is to say not a super sweet dessert, right. but it's just a, a nice, slightly spicy, but but sweet sweet treat. Mm-hmm. And the name Fatty Cake, of course, is, a, is, right. is brilliant. <laughs> well named. That is all for this edition of The Winnow. We recorded today's episode in the Sugary Podcasting Studios at the Post and Courier Building in downtown Charleston, South Carolina. If you enjoy listening to The Winnow, please help other listeners find us too. Go to iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever you download your podcasts and like us or leave a rating. Check out our show page at winnowpodcast.com for more information about our guests and links to the places we discuss on each show. The Winnow is a production of the Post and Courier and Palmetto New Media. Our producer today was the always sweet Parker. Our theme music is by the Bluestone Ramblers. Until next time, I'm Robert Moss. I'm Hannah Raskin. Now get out there and eat. And don't forget the dessert. (laughs) 